Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. This is the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel encouraged as we begin the message this morning. On graduating Senior Sunday of all Sundays, we end our scripture reading always by saying, this is the word of the Lord, but I'm not sure anyone wants this to be the word of the Lord for you today, to hear these difficult words. In fact, on late, late last week, I was talking to some of our ministers about this text, and Karen Pertle said, you know, I just finished reading Ecclesiastes in my Read Through the Bible year plan, and I did not enjoy it at all, she said. <laughs> and I think we can understand why Karen feels that way, and you might be wondering why we're approaching this text on this particular day. Actually, right now, we're not in the middle of a series. I've chosen for these few weeks here just to share some scripture that in my own devotional time I felt like the Lord spoke to me and I wanted to share with you before we start a new series this summer and what possibly could the Lord have said to me through Ecclesiastes 1 but what I think you'll agree with especially those of you who are a little more mature teenagers into adults of all ages what you've heard the teacher say in Ecclesiastes 1 at some point in our lives we've all been there we felt it. In fact, I rec would recommend this book to you. It's called A Resilient Life by Gordon MacDonald. I read this a few years ago. Actually, our, our entire ministry staff read this together. And Gordon Mac MacDonald, if you know his story, he, he wrote this when he was in his 70s. And he, he wrote this looking back on every decade of his life. And he said, in my 70s, I look back and, and I think about when I was a teenager in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and now in my 70s, what did it look like to walk with the Lord in each one of those decades? Wh which decade would I say was the best? Which decade would I say was the worst? 
And if you know Gordon McDonald's story, he, he had a time in his life and ministry where he had a very public fall. And, and the Lord eventually restored his family and restored him back to ministry. And so it's a really challenging read to look back and say, in which decade, in which season of life did I learn the most? One of the best parts of this book is he finishes by saying in his 70s, I trust, because of my trust in Jesus Christ, that the best is yet to come. And I hope this morning that whatever decade of life you're in, whatever season of life you find yourself in this morning, whether it's a high place or a low place, that you would be willing to say, because of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, I'm going to believe the best is yet to come. But Solomon's story here, as we begin in Ecclesiastes 1, actually he doesn't name himself. And many scholars disagree on whether or not Solomon, King Solomon, could have actually written all of this down in his lifetime because it seems like it was compiled over a long period. But the beginning of the book tells us this was written by the son of King David. And so whoever the teacher is, he's clearly assuming the persona of Solomon. And he's assuming the persona of Solomon, who we remember often as the wisest person who ever lived before Jesus. We also remember as perhaps the wealthiest man who ever lived on the face of the earth, who, who in terms of material things should have considered himself the most fortunate and the most blessed. And whoever the teacher is is taking on this persona, but at the end of Solomon's life. And what we find at the end of Solomon's life is not a man who is overflowing with thankfulness. And not a man who is, who is finishing strong the race that God laid out for him. But instead, if we go to the book of 1 Kings, which in a narrative form tells us a lot more about Solomon, specifically King Solomon and his life, this is what 1 Kings 11.4 says. When Solomon was older... His wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. And he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Ecclesiastes is not the collection of the thoughts of the heart of King Solomon when he was walking faithfully with the Lord. But rather you can feel it, you can sense it. This is a man whose soul aches because he has not been walking faithfully with the Lord. He has been chasing and pursuing furiously every possible other thing, be it an idea, be it an attitude, be it a lifestyle, be it all the comforts that the world can offer. He's been chasing all of that, but he has not been walking faithfully with the Lord like his father David did. Solomon is not the example of a person who finished well who finished his race well. And, and these are the heart and soul laments of a man who walked away from a healthy relationship with God. And so this morning, on graduating Senior Sunday, I promise you guys, if you hang with me, seniors, everyone else all across the room, we're going to finish strong. But to get to that place, we're going to walk with Solomon, the teacher, through three existential crises that for at least the next few minutes are not going to be pleasant. 
But we're going to do it to get to the place where I believe God wants us to finish. So here's the first crisis that the teacher taking on the persona of Solomon indicates. When life seems meaningless, what do we do? How do we go forward when life seems meaningless? I would say that every person as they come to maturity wrestles with a set of questions. And when I say every person, I mean every person, no matter their cultural background, religious or non-religious background. At some point, everyone who is able to come to maturity thinks about things like this. Where do we come from? What happens to us after we die? What is our purpose in life if there is one? What is it? Is there some sort of a moral code that we're supposed to follow? And if so, what kind of lives should we live? What kind of life should I live? And, and how does love factor into all of this? Because we begin to realize as human beings we have a capacity to love and to experience love like no other creature that exists on the earth. And so as we wrestle with all of these hard questions, how does love factor into all of it? And if you find yourself in a place where you don't have good answers of substance to the big questions, or maybe you find yourself in a place where you thought you had good answers of substance, but for some reason you've lost your way or you've lost your confidence in them, then you might sound like the teacher who says, when I, I look at everything in the big picture, I say, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Depending on what translation you're reading or what you perhaps grew up reading, you might remember some different language here. Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. Other translations will say, merely a breath. Everything is, is merely a breath. Or, or this sort of sounds like the tone of the first chapter. Utter futility. Everything seems like it is utter futility. The Hebrew is actually, it's important because the word is repeated. It, it's repeated for emphasis. And 38 times in Ecclesiastes, the teacher uses this phrase. Havel havalim, which means vapor of vapors, literally. The, the ultimate vapor of vapors. Here today, gone tomorrow. In the blink of an eye, it's over. Meaningless, meaningless, futile, vanity, vapor of vapors. That is life. But this is not the only time the word havel is used in Scripture. In fact, the teacher who's taking on the persona of Solomon could rightly say, my dad used to say this all the time. Here's what David wrote. In two different psalms. Psalm 144. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Havel. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Psalm 39. Also of David. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. 
Everyone is but a breath, havel, even those who seem secure. But when you read these psalms, read them in context. David is not saying, life is meaningless. I feel like giving up. There's no reason for being here. All of my time is wasted. What David is saying is, Lord, I've realized my time on this earth is short. My days are numbered, and I want to make them all count. I want to live wholeheartedly for you. I want to invest my life in things that will outlast me. But when the teacher uses the same language, not walking with God, only investing his own life in the things that benefit himself, he uses the same word to say life is meaningless. It's not just havel, it's havel havelim. It is a vapor of vapors, and I've lost all of my heart and soul in the midst of it. Now, let's be honest. There are some people we come across in our lives who are just complainers, right? Some people just complain all the time. And as you read through Ecclesiastes, you might be tempted to think of the teacher or Solomon in this way. You might think of all people to complain and to whine. What a whiner. This guy had a palace. This guy had more wealth than anyone else. This guy had everything that we're taught we're supposed to want. And yet he spends this entire book complaining and whining. He might remind you of the old parable the rabbis used to tell of the two Israelite men who are walking through the Red Sea as God has parted the water for them. On either side of them, they can look to the right, to the left, and see a wall of water as God is delivering them. And they're walking through the sea on dry ground and they're complaining because their feet are getting muddy. They're like, I I just bought these sandals. I can't believe it. Some people just complain all the time. And the teacher might feel that way, but what I hear is not so much I'm complaining about this moment, but the teacher is lamenting what one scholar called nature's incessant cyclicity. In other words, there are seasons of our lives where it feels like every day is the same. And the circle and the cycle of life just keeps going on, And if we're miserable today, just like we were yesterday, then we're going to be miserable tomorrow. But we're still going to go to bed, and we're going to wake up, and we're going to go and spend all of our waking hours working and doing what we're required to do, putting our head down. But in the end, when we have a moment to step back and look at it all, we feel like this is Groundhog Day over and over again, and nothing ever changes. Just in case you've forgotten what that felt like, we all went through that last year. Some of us for days, some of us for weeks, some for months. Every single day was the same. We stayed in our house. We woke up. Some of us were thinking, if I'm on one more Zoom call, I'm throwing my computer out the window. I'm done with this. Every single day felt the same. And the teacher says, that's how I feel all the time. I think about my grandparents. Many of you know my grandparents. They're both 91. They live in a retirement community. And for months, because they can't drive, they're completely dependent on other people to get them from point A to B, this was their life. You would call them because we couldn't go see them, and they didn't know what day of the week it was. And it wore on them. It it was hard on them physically and emotionally and spiritually to feel like every day is the same, and it's not too pleasant at the moment. 
The teacher feels that cycle, that endless cycle of life wearing on him. But then in the next existential crisis, he moves from life in general to everyday life. And he says, here's my next crisis when everything I do under the sun seems wasted. And specifically, he talks about work. And he says, what, when, when everything I do under the sun seems like it's wasted, when, when I look at my life and all of the hours that I've put in, and I ask the question, what do people gain from all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? If you were to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he digs a little deeper into this. Because in chapter 2, he, he just starts listing you know, I, I felt, he says, I felt unfulfilled. I felt like all the things that I was chasing after were, were bringing me no joy, no contentment. And so I basically tried everything. And specifically, he says, even though I, I was wealthy, I lived in a palace, I could have had everything handed to me, I decided to be like other people, and I went to work, and I worked hard. From sunup to sundown, I had my head down, my nose to the grindstone, and I put and poured all of my life into my work. Some of you know what that feels like. But then he begins wrestling with these questions. Some of them are, are humorous. The first one he says is, I poured all of my life into work. I, I realized the person who is obsessed with work is filled with grief. And at night, he cannot even rest. His mind can never rest because he always feels that pressure to produce 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 to climb the ladder the person is never at rest that 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 gives all of their life to work they're always in grief but then he says but but then what happens if if i die and the person who comes after me is a fool what if the person who inherits all of my work squanders it he asked the question how long will it be before the family fortune goes out the window what if the person who follows me is a fool and even if he or she is not, in the end, all of our hard work, he says, goes to somebody who didn't work at all for it. And whether or not they choose to work as hard as me, they're going to get all my stuff. I can't take it with me. So he says, I tried putting all of my heart and soul into work, but it too did not fulfill me. And so then he really goes down a dark path. Again, this is in chapter 2. He says, so I started searching for meaning in the good life. I followed every impulse. I did some experimenting. I tried things like pleasure, laughter, wine, foolish living. I undertook great projects. I built houses and vineyards, gardens and parks with all kinds of trees. I acquired many slaves. I built up more herds and flocks than anyone before me. I amassed silver and gold. The treasures of kings and provinces were all mine. I even hired male and female singers. Male and female singers to be around me all the time just so I could hear their pleasant tones throughout the day. And I had a large harem of women. I had more women around me than any man who's ever lived. I denied myself nothing my eyes or my heart desired. I became the greatest of the great. But then he says, all of it. In the end, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, all that I had achieved, everything was havel havelim. It was meaningless. 
It was ruet ruah. It was a chasing after the wind. And I gained nothing under the sun. And listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 17. I hated my life. That's what the teacher says. Taking on the persona of Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest person to ever live, says, when I came near the end of the race, I hated my life. Graduating seniors, hang with me. Then he talks about, back to our chapter, aging and death. Generations come and generations go. But after we're gone, the earth is still here. Feels like it remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south. It turns to the north. Round and round it goes. And then it returns on its course. In the end, though, he says everything just feels like streams flowing into the sea that never actually change the sea. They never change the shape of anything. The, the places that the streams come from, they, they're gone, they return again. It's like the old adage, I'm using a spoon to try to empty out the ocean. And it's doing no good. It's not making a difference at all. And we ask the question, because we know we're talking about at least the, the persona of Solomon, where in the world did all of his wisdom go? But look at what he says in verse 13. If we were to jump down a little bit, he does say, For a season I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. I, I did pursue wisdom for a while, but, but hear what he's saying. You read it in the context. It's not the wisdom that God gives. It's not like James wrote, if, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give you his wisdom that you want. What, what Solomon, what the teacher is saying is, I opened up a lot of books. I started doing my best to learn everything. I wanted to be the smartest. I wanted to unlock all of the hidden secrets of knowledge. I wanted to, to appear to be wise by earthly standards. He wasn't seeking the wisdom that comes from God. He wasn't walking wholeheartedly with the Lord his God like his father David had done. No, Solomon says, I just wanted to get really smart. And he ends up becoming like probably many people that, that we've met. You'll meet a lot of people who have a lot of book learning. They've, they've amassed a significant amount of education, but they have no wisdom to speak of. At least it doesn't seem like it. And then you've probably met the opposite person who really had very little formal education, but man, they are wise. That person is wise and walking with the Lord and faithful, and you just want to be around them to pick up on that depth and wisdom that they have. Solomon's at a point that's kind of like a midlife crisis, though it's later. Or today we call it a third, one-third life crisis, because I guess we guys hit that at an earlier phase. He's basically said, I just, I just quit. Everything that I'd been taught, everything I knew was right and wrong, I just put it all aside and decided to do, just take care of me for a while. And certainly he shouldn't be surprised that that ended with this feeling, everything I've done, everything under the sun seems wasted. But his depressing existential crisis is not over yet. Again, hang with me. One more lament from our passage. When it seems like all you've done will be forgotten. He, we've touched on this already. 
he is he's coming to grips with the fact that that a lot of what he's done he can't take with him and it'll be passed on and and he's wrestling with the idea that people are going to forget all of it but also don't miss what he says there in the beginning of verse 8 because it would be easy to miss he says all things are wearisome i read into this that the teacher is tired and not tired just because he stayed up too late the night before but he as as many of us can relate to he's just tired it's been a long dark difficult season and we oftentimes as parents don't give our kids enough grace when they're tired but we also don't give each other enough grace as, as adults when we're tired it affects us and and the teacher says i all things to me have become wearisome more than i can even say the eye never has enough of seeing it just it just never stops and if that's true this is even more true the hear the ear never has its fill of hearing it's just noisy all the time it's it's never stops and yet what has been will be again and what has been done will be done again because there is nothing new under the sun my boys they get frustrated with me they don't like to watch movies or tv with me anymore because i get frustrated that there's nothing new under the sun that everything we watch i'm like they stole that from that movie they stole that from this book they stole that from the bible and it drives them crazy and and, and i've told them too if, if there is one more reboot of a show that was already bad when it was on in the 90s and because we can come up with nothing new, but we have millions of dollars to spend on entertainment, we're going to reboot a bad show again. It, again, my boys don't like to watch things with me anymore. But that frustration, we feel that there is, is there really anything new? Is there really anything new that we could say, this is, this is actually a new achievement. This is a new idea. This is a new co accomplishment. Instead, it sort of feels like one said that that everything that calls itself new is just an illusion it's just a shadow of something that came before and what has been done will be done again and what's happening now will be done again in the future the teacher agrees because he says even further is there anything anyone can say look this is actually something new no it was here long ago long before our time no one remembers the former generations and you hear in that no no respect for those who came before us and so the teacher says if that's true nobody's going to have respect for us when we're gone and the same thing is true that those who come later nobody's going to remember them those who follow them will be exactly like we are towards our elders and it will go on and on and on and again clearly the teacher is not in a good place the wisest man supposedly whoever lived before jesus says this at the end of the chapter for with much wisdom comes much sorrow the more knowledge the more grief you might read into this a phrase we like to use in english it is what it is with with much wisdom comes much sorrow the more knowledge the more grief phrases like it is what it is it's all in god's hands now or when we 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 get that sort of internal wrestling and we think maybe i ought to rethink the decision i'm about to make maybe i ought to step back for a second 
and, and consider if this is right or a good idea, but then we say something like, YOLO, you only live once. Those, those kinds of phrases, it is what it is, you only live once, they actually have a name. They're called thought-terminating cliches. In other words, I probably should think through this more. I probably shouldn't just accept this axiom as if it's universally true. But it is what it is. That's just how life goes. You only live once. And Solomon, the teacher, says, With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. If these are the thoughts and feelings of the wisest man ever to live before Jesus, is there really any hope for us? Well, of course you know I'm not going to end there. Because at the heart of Scripture is not an existential crisis. At the heart of Scripture, though we all can relate and say, I've felt this way before, maybe I feel this way now. Hear me, at the heart of Scripture is not the crisis, but the good news of Jesus Christ. And Solomon, the teacher, is not our example to follow this morning. Though we can relate, though we can see and feel these things at times, at least here in the beginning, the teacher is not a good teacher. He's not like the many other examples we can find in Scripture of people who did finish well. And his dad is an example, sort of like we talked about this book. There may be some seasons of your life where things don't go well, Talk about a, a, a well-known epic failure. David had a colossal one, but he finished well. And so many others, we find, we hear the stories of their failures in the Old and New Testament, but they finished the race well. So for graduating seniors, children, teenagers, adults of all ages, let the teacher this morning be Jesus Christ himself. Let the teacher this morning be the one who says to us, life is not found in an abundance of possessions, as we heard before. And let Ecclesiastes be a teacher as well. I, I'll redeem it for us just a little bit. If you go to chapter 3, right after that very famous part of Ecclesiastes, you, you're going to get a, a song in your head when I remind you of it. There is a time for everything under the sun, a time to live, a time to die. Right after that passage, here's what the teacher writes. I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race, but he has made everything beautiful in his timing. And he has also set eternity in the human heart. So no one can fathom what God has actually done from the beginning to the end. And look at verse 14 there. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Let's say it again. I know that everything God does will endure forever. It won't pass away. It won't be wasted. It won't be meaningless. And here we are today, 3,000 years after Ecclesiastes, and we haven't forgotten it. Though he says everybody's going to forget the things that God do has done, we have not forgotten. And he does these things so, uh, for us so that Though nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it, we will fear him, we will respect him, we will honor him, and we will choose to live our lives pursuing the things that actually matter. He finishes. Had to have a nicer ending than the beginning to Ecclesiastes. 
now that all has been heard there in chapter 12 here is the conclusion of the matter it's like the teacher says i should have known better but i did it anyway but when all was said and done i realized what i should have remembered from the beginning what my dad taught me and what god revealed to me as he gave me his wisdom when i was younger here's all that matters fear god and keep his commandments in other words walk wholeheartedly with the lord your god like solomon's father did for this is the duty of all mankind because god will bring every deed into judgment including everything we think we've hidden whether it's good or evil and in the end all we do for god is all that matters or as jesus said watch out we read this a moment ago be on your guard against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions let the teacher be your example and then he tells this parable where the foolish rich man says i'm i'm gonna build bigger barns like we often do i'm not happy i'm not content i want to amass more so i'm going to tear down my existing barns and build bigger ones and bigger ones and god said to him you fool you have no idea that tonight your life is over and what will you have to show for it and this as far as i can tell is the only time where i think jesus actually refers specifically to ecclesiastes he asked the question in the parable you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself just like the teacher asked but then jesus gives us this conclusion and let this be our closing word for today this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards god so I ask you this morning, wherever you find yourself, whatever season of life you're in, are you pursuing the things that make you rich towards God? Are you investing your life in the things that are kingdom investments that you know because they are kingdom investments, they will actually last forever? And when all other kingdoms pass away and only the kingdom of god is left standing will the investment of your life be a part will you be rich towards god may we this morning pursue with all of our hearts and lives those things that make us rich towards god